How many of you know that uh, you have a Heavenly Father that's good? I love that song that the worship team led us in about the goodness of God. The Bible says that the goodness Hello, of God leads us to the repentance. The idea in the Bible of the Father is very crucial to our understanding of our relationship with God. Out of all the names that God could have chosen uh, to self-disclose or self-identify, He chose the name Father. He chose that name. We did not. We didn't invent that. Man did not. God said, I want you to know the kind of relationship I want you to have with me. And the kind of relationship I want you to have is to understand that you're kids and I'm dad. Isn't that simple? Isn't that great? You get to be kids for the rest of your life. How about that? Some of you are literal cartoons. Some of you are cartoon networks. Some of you have been kids for a long time. God says, I'm happy that you're my child. And I want to show you my goodness. How many dads want to show their kids their goodness all the time? Amen? Come on. Now, I know they come and ask mom first. Okay? But the reason why they come and ask mom first is somebody's got to say no. Oh, it don't work that way? Right? Somebody's got to say no. But eventually, they'll get to dad. Right? Because they know if they come and ask dad first, dad's going to say, go ask your mom. Right? But your God is good. He wants you to come to him with whatever your need is. Hey, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46. Verse 9, let me just kind of give you a little bit of, uh, uh, well, it's some house cleaning here, okay, housekeeping here. Uh, We are going to uh, dive into this series. It is a deep series. I'm not going to keep you for very long this morning. Uh, We're going to start just the first part of this series today. Then I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go visit my daughter, uh, Lindsay, in, uh, in Tulsa. And uh, Pastor Tyler is going to fill in. He's going to come straight back from camp. So be praying for, for him. Pray that he comes back alive, okay? That, that he's actually alive and that the kids don't kill him. You're taking 12, aren't you? That's fantastic. So he's got his own 12 disciples, you know, 12 Indians. That, you know, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great time. But we want him to come back because I need him to preach. That's the reason. But he's going to fill it for me. And then I'll get back to this message. I, I, want, I want to just talk to you this morning about how Papa has a plan. I want you to see, you know, often we, we, we identify with God as the Father as being a protector, as being a provider, but the Bible also says that He's a planner. And I want you to see that this plan of the Father is preordained. It's predestined. It is already set up. I, I'm going to attempt to show you the plan of God in the creation narrative, in the six days of creation, and the seventh day, God rested. For some of you pre-tribulationalists and pre-millennialists, and I know that's some big stuff there, that would equal, that seventh day would equal the millennial reign. I'm going to show you in scripture that before God ever set anything up, he planned for his son, Jesus Christ, to give his life, to be slain, the Bible says in Revelation, from the foundations of the earth. You understand before anything ever went haywire, God the Father already had a plan. I want you to know that. And that God discloses that plan within the scriptures. If you were on the world's clock, you will not see it. You will not know it. The Bible even tells us that. That people in the very last days will be like the days of Noah. 
They will be marrying, given of marriage. They will be eating and drinking. In other words, they'll go on like life has always been. And then the Bible says, suddenly, everything changes. I want you to know that as a saint and as a believer, that doesn't have to be so suddenly for you. We will not be giving you dates this morning because that defies the doctrine of eminency. For your notes, the doctrine of eminency is this. We do not know the day nor the hour of Jesus' coming for his church. I didn't say second coming, because that's exactly seven years after the rapture. Come on. I'm talking about when he comes as a thief in the night. Are you aware of this? That God has a clock, and when that final hand strikes the hour, he's going to split the sky and take his church home. You need to be prepared, and that is the crux of today's message. God is not taken unawares by any of this. But you could, if you're not living your life in such a way as you are prepared for his coming. All right? So we need to see how Papa's plan works. Look at Isaiah uh, chapter 46, verse 9. It says, remember what happened long ago. You see, I'm going to take you into Genesis this morning to preach Revelation. Come on. You say, I got to go to the end of the Bible to talk about the end of the world. No, 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 no. I'll take you to the beginning of the world to talk about how God's going to restore the world. Come on. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. In other words, hey, I'm going to do some things you're not going to understand. You're not like me. My ways are not your ways. My ways are above and higher than your ways. And he says in verse 10, I declare the end from the beginning. Did you catch that? In case you missed it, let me help you. The the end is already established. It's already planned. It's already done. He says, I've declared the end when it all started. I've declared the end from the beginning. In ancient times, from what is still to come, I say, watch this, my purpose will stand. Listen, not the purpose of governments, not the purpose of China, not the purpose that's going on in the White House, not the purpose that is going on in our culture today, not the satanic culture that is in our streets today, not the purpose of what is celebrated this month. God says, my purpose, my purpose, my purpose will stand and and all my good pleasure, I will accomplish. Who's going to accomplish it? God says, I will. I will accomplish it. Come on, pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need your help today, God. I need your help every day. That you would speak through me, Lord. That, God, that you would use me today, that we'd understand your word today in a fresh and brand new way, and that our lives would be prepared for you because you're coming. You're coming. You're coming. God, may we wake up to know that you're coming. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. A little bit about my dad. It's Father's Day. I want to tell you a little bit about him, how he always had a plan. He was a truck driver. Back then, they didn't have GPS. Back then, they did, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't uh, scan out a route, basically, as you drove. You couldn't plug it into the GPS, two, three little hits on the GPS uh, screen, and know where you were going. I used to watch my dad go into the kitchen. We had a one-bedroom house. And I remember uh, in the kitchen, we didn't have a kitchen table. We had a, what we did was we put together a picnic table. And we had a picnic table in my kitchen, and my dad would plan all night long his route for the rest of the week. And he'd have this huge map, and it was big old Randall McNally. Now, you kids don't know anything about that. 
okay, because now everything's digital. But there's this huge Randall McNally map. He had it all across the, the picnic table in the kitchen, and he would cr- plan out each of his stops, each of his routes for the entirety of the week before he left. Come on. Before he left the house, because when you're in the middle of, come on now, when you're in the middle of traffic, especially I-90, especially as you're kind of, you're trying to uh, navigate your way through Chi-Town, right? You don't want to be going, should I turn here? Should I turn there? Especially when you're hauling a 16-wheeler and you're stuck in traffic. You want to know where you're going next. And before you even leave the house, you want to have every plan ordained. And that's the way he did it. Unfortunately, none of that passed along to me. If uh, you go on a trip with me, I will get you lost, guaranteed. You might wonder why I'm your pastor. Sometimes I wonder. I don't know why. I know that God is in control and we can trust him, but I am not that kind of a person. I I get behind the wheel. I'm lost in my hometown. You know, I need my wife to navigate. She's always saying, turn here, turn there. I'm 52 years old. I just, it didn't pass on to me. But my son's a planner and he, he likes to plan things and he's very efficient. He'll plan things out. One, two, three, four years ahead. I do that sometimes with finances, but I, I can't do it in, in a route. My dad was great at that. Can I tell you that a great papa is a great planner? That your papa has a plan. He has a plan for you. He's not making this up. The Bible isn't made up. In fact, please, 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 if you want to remain in this church for very long and get along with me, do not refer to the Old Testament as past. The Old Testament is still being played out right now. Hello? There's still verses in there talking about what Jesus will do. Verses like Joel chapter 2, verse 28. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Come on. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have dreams. Your old men visions. Come on. This is something that happened in Joel. That's Old Testament, man. You say, who's Joel, man? Is he going to serve me coffee? Who is that guy? It's the Old Testament. So there's things in there that God had planned from the beginning. And I'm going to attempt this morning to show you some of that. But I want you to know that God is not taken by surprise of your life. In fact, before you were even born, God made sure that his plan was ordained and made sure that each of the stops of your life and that each of the stops in the history of his story would line up in accordance to his word. And God does nothing in his plan without first telling two people. Now, this ought to clue you in on something because this includes every believer in the room. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, Surely the Lord God will do nothing unless He reveals His secrets. Say secrets. Strong enough for a man, made for a woman. His secrets unto the servants who are servants of God in this room this morning. Put your hand up. He reveals His secrets to His servants and His prophets. Not just His prophets. Also His servants. But if you're not a servant of the God Most High... You will live your life outside of his plan. And if you're outside of his plan, there's going to be pain. There's going to be judgment. He doesn't want that for you. He's a good father. He loves you. So he's disclosed everything about his plan from the beginning. I don't want to get too deep, but I want to tell you a little bit about his divine attributes for your notes. You need to understand that God is not like you. You see, God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. You can only be in one place. God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. You and I got to eat a can of spinach just to get up in the morning and get something done. God has all the power he already needs. Amen? He's also omniscient. The Bible says that he is all-knowing. If he's all-knowing, then he knows your every thought. 
He knows the number on your heads, and for my head, it's a little bit easier. He knows the number of hairs. The Bible says that he also knows all of the future. Every single bit of it. He's known that from eternity past. You see, long before there was ever an earth, God already knew how the earth would end. Are we okay with that? Maybe you need to hear this one, though. Because this one's going to be, you know, frying an egg on your, on, your, on your noodle. Omnitemporal. God is not just a God of the present. God is also a God of the past. God is also a God of the future. And he lives in all three places at one time. Omnitemporal. So Jesus explained that because he said, listen, the Father and I, he says, we're the great I am. I am could be in the present, but then later the Bible describes Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. That means Alpha means the innumerable past. Omega means the innumerable future. You see, Jesus has always existed. Jesus exists right now. Jesus is always in the past and always in the present and always in the future. I know your brain's going, oh dear. But I want you to think about this for a second. We serve a God of three persons. Each part of the three persons can be in each of those temporal places at one time and still make sure that you get to where you need to. Come on. He's that good of a God. You tell me, can Buddha do that? He can't move his fat belly out from underneath that tree. You're not alive this morning. You're not alive today. You see, God is not reactive. He is proactive. He has a plan for how things will end. And it's good. Say good. It is good. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If a book has been authored, I authored one last year, uh, sold a whopping 15 copies. How about that? I mean, I'm going to Disneyland. But anyway, uh, in authoring that book, understand this. If I, if I wrote the beginning, I wrote the end. By the time you read it, you might be in chapter 1, but I'm already at chapter 15. Come on. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Your life is a book. And God has authored it. And the beginning and the end of your life is in his hands. If you'll put it there. Come on, if you'll put it there. So, now it gets tough. Because I want to take you in scripture on how God unveils his plan and the way that he does it in increments of time. I'm going to teach you a principle about eschatology. That word means eska and talogy, study of. Eschatology means the study of the end. I want to show you how God is unveiling his plan in scripture. And it's going to take weeks to do this. But I want to show you how God has said the same thing thousands of times in the Bible. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, he said this. All throughout Genesis, he's shown this plan. And every book of the Bible, this plan has been said again and again and again. It's in the menorah. It's in the temple. It's in the parables. It's in the creation narrative. God has said again and again and again that creation would need to be restored and that mankind would need to be redeemed. And I'm going to show you my clock for doing it. Are you awake this morning? I hope you get this. I hope you get this. I really do. I want to show you where... This clock begins to start, okay? Notice this, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Peter walks out of the upper room. There's 5,000 people that are down there. There's probably more because there's, they only counted the men back then. But there are 5,000 people that end up getting saved from his sermon. He says in his sermon, the clock has just ticked forward. You don't read that, but I am paraphrasing. 
Let me show you how he does it. He says, listen, the people that you heard speaking in tongues that were filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit of God, listen, those people aren't doing anything other than what the prophet Joel prophesied would happen in the last days. What is days? That's more than one. So the last days began then. You're not with me. It, it, you, here's what most people want to do. I want to hear a sermon about the last days. And pastor, take me into all the evil that's going on in the world. Show me that in the Bible. We'll get to that. But can I just tell you that you first have a good God. He's a great father and he already has a plan for this. The last days began then. Let, let me show you an Acts here. It says Acts 2.16. Now this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all pe- people. Your sons, daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions, old men dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Watch this. That was the one day of the last days. Here's another day of the last days. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Understand this. We love the stories of the blood, the fire, the billows of smoke. We love the stories about wonders in the skies and in the heavens. We'll get to all that. But can we just get to the point to where God said the last days started when I poured out my spirit on my people? Come on. Can we start on the right foot? Because nobody wants to talk about that in Bible prophecy. They all want to talk about how bad things get. I want to tell you how good things have already gotten. I want to tell you, you serve a good God that's filled you with his spirit and empowered you to live in these last days, to be a testimony and a witness. God picked you. It's such a time as this to be born during this time and have his spirit and his grace, not only to just squeak on by, but to be a witness and a testimony to people that live in darkness. Give somebody, give somebody this morning a pat on the back. Come on, give somebody a pat on the back. Yeah. And, and, and tell them. Now tell them. Thanks for being here today for this. Now Peter is quoting Joel. Peter's, Peter's quoting Joel 2.28. Announcing the first day of the last days. But this was exactly 1993 years ago. 1,993 years ago. He said last days. It doesn't make sense to me. It shouldn't to you. If that was last days then Jesus should have came for his church the next day or the day after that. Are you with me? He said last days. What is a day with the Lord? Come on, man. How how does his clock work? Because, you know, we're down here. We're down here and everything's going slow as molasses for us. But for God, it's took off. Now, I want to show you this a little bit. I want you to, to, to get this. Shouldn't have Peter said in the last years or millennia? He said last days. So this is why people scoff Bible prophecy today, because they say, well, where's the signs of his coming? You know, the church has been saying this for 100 years, for 200 years. Everybody has a last day sermons, but we don't see Jesus. He didn't come when grandpappy preached it. He didn't come when when your daddy walked to school barefooted uphill and downhill both or uphill both ways. (laughs) Where is the sign of his coming? So Peter helps us out. In 2 Peter 3, 3, he says, Knowing this, there shall come in the last days scoffers. I've never heard of anything like that. I start talking about Jesus and everybody goes, Oh, that's the greatest subject I've ever heard. 
scoffers in the last days, walking in their what? Their own lusts. And saying, where's the promise of his coming? Nah, 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 nah. He ain't come back yet. Right? Say, where's that promise? For since the fathers fell asleep and all things continue as they were, watch this phrase. From the beginning of creation, we're going to get back to creation because it tells the story. It says they've done that from the beginning of creation. They've said Jesus is coming back. They said God's coming back. Where is he? He hasn't come back. I want to jump down to verse 8. It says, but beloved, don't be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as unto a thousand years, and a thousand years as to one day. Now, the Bible wasn't disagreeing with itself when Peter came out and said, we're in the last days. Jesus did not have to come back two days later. Because that would be two days. A day with God, Peter says, is a thousand years. Years. All right? So, how did Peter obtain this idea? Let me put it to you this way. Perhaps he read the Old Testament, which I know he did, because all the New Testament prophecies can be unlocked by Old Testament symbols. That's what we call in hermeneutics... uh, uh, rightly judging the word of truth rightly dividing the word of truth you take an old testament symbol and you are able to interpret a new testament symbol by it here's the old testament verse psalms 90 verse 3 you return man to dust and say return O children of man for a thousand years in your sight are as but as yesterday now stay with me who wrote that moses This verse and chapter in the book of Psalms is attributed to Moses. What in the flying world does Moses know about the last days? How would Moses know anything about God's timepiece? The author of that particular psalm is uniquely attributed to him by scholars. And he would have understood this concept, and I'm going to show you how. Genesis 3.19 was written by Moses. Okay. Maybe we're on the same page. Who wrote the Old Testament, first five books? Moses. Who wrote Genesis? Ah. Ooh. E. All right. Genesis 3.19. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Holy Spirit. By the sweat of your face you shall eat till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and and to dust you shall return. Okay. Why do we see that man will return to dust? We see this is what Moses wrote. The same guy that wrote, A day with the Lord is a thousand. In Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You must, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day, say day. In the day you eat thereof, you shall die. Adam didn't die that day. So we, the Bible must be wrong. Do you know how many times people have sat down with me and said, oh, Pastor, you believe that stuff made up? That's just a bunch of made up stuff. Wow. You know, that Bible's just all made up. They made that stuff up. When did Adam die? Genesis chapter 5 says this. Adam died, watch this, 930 years later. Amen. A day, a day with the Lord is a thousand years. Are you getting this, church? He did die in one day. God's God's one day. 
Well, pastor, he died spiritually that day. I know he did. But he also returned to dust on the day God said, you eat of it, you're dying. God's word is perfect. And I want you to see that sometimes you need to dig a little deeper and study a little more. Don't just read past something and go, well, I guess he didn't die that day. I don't, I don't know what God meant. Say, Pastor, there's nothing more to this. That's enough for me. I'm going home. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure somebody cooked something for me today. And Yeah, yeah. There's a contradiction there. Oh, no. He died, in, he died short of a thousand years. He died in the day that the Lord said he would die. Now, let me give it to you another way. And maybe this will help. Maybe this will make things worse. But on your little watchy-poo, and I mean the analog ones. I don't mean the digital ones. The one I look at that tells me when to let you go for cheeseburgers has three hands on it. It has a big hand. Oh, come on. Take you back to first and second grade. We'll break out the crayons if you want. Uh, It has a big hand. It has a little hand. And it has a second hand. Now, God's time is running by the little hand. One hour ticks, and it's 60 of those, come on, 60 of those other ticks by the big hand. But I'm not even telling you, you and I are living by that. We're living by the second's hand. So, for one hour of God's tick on his clock, I want you to see that that would equal how many, church? Who knows? I don't even know because I can't find it in my notes. How about this? A lot. 60 ticks for each minute. So 60 times 60, which would be 3,600, right? Mathematician, thank you, sir. He nodded yes. So it's in the thousands, right? For each tick of that little hand, there's thousands of ticks of that second's hand. You're living on the second's hand. God is living. And I'm going to show you that in the creation narrative... What God did was, is he not only created the world, but also showed us us the plan of how he's going to redeem mankind. Three things here. Creation, redemption, number three. And how he's going to restore his creation. Oh, man. That's good stuff, man. Man, I'm about to aim in myself. Okay, so here we go. Let's talk about day one. I've got a little picture for you. I hope you're able to read it. By the way, if you have any questions, you can see me after or you can email me, that sort of thing. If you disagree with what I'm saying, you can just go home. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, there's all kinds of ideas about this. I just want to show you scripture. I'm not going to give you my ideas, just scripture. All right. On day one, think about day one of creation. What do we learn from the Bible on day one of creation? Well, we learned that light was separated from darkness. Now for forever as a pastor, I was wondering why darkness existed. But remember, remember this, Satan had already sinned in heaven. Come on, church. And God had to say, I'm separating. He said, let there be light. But in day one, he said, I'm separating the light from the the darkness. So Satan had to be booted out. I don't think he was too happy about that. By the way, he's not booted out of all the heavens. There's three. All right. There's the atmosphere. There's space. And then there's God's throne room. He cannot access God's throne room. He's about to be booted out of space in the atmosphere. That happens during the tribulation period. Okay? So pretty soon he's coming out of the sky. He's going to be thrown completely down to the earth. God's going to do that soon. But at this point, God says, on day one, I'm separating the darkness from the light. Why would God create darkness? He didn't. He created light. 
Darkness created itself by being in rebellion. Come on. And God said, get away from me. Get away from my creation. Get away from what is good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Hello, I think you're alive. Now that's a thousand years, right? Or one day to God. Look at the next one. Let's go a little bit more here, okay? Not only is the enemy removed from heaven, but on day two, the earth is covered in water. You see that in the creation narrative. What happens in biblical history as well on day two is we find that God looks down upon the earth, sees that every thought in man's heart is continually wicked and evil. Are you awake? Are you alive? I told you to sleep and I told you to eat your vitamins. No more Twinkies in this church. Now, on day two or 2,000 years, Noah hears from God that he's to build an ark. This is a picture of the church. Right? He knows it's going to rain, but he doesn't know the exact time. Neither do we, but we know it's coming. He knew it'd be in his lifetime. He knew it was coming soon. He knew it was coming quickly, and he knew he had a job to do. And that God's judgment was coming upon the earth. And so we see in the story of Noah and in the story of creation that God brought water upon the earth. Now, there's something else that God brought. Stay with me. God also, at that time, in the book of Genesis, in the creative narrative, it says that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. Hello? So the Spirit of God shows up the first time in the Bible as a dove hovering. We see that he shows up again later in Noah's life. Are you with me? Noah is above the judgment of God. Judgment of God comes down. People of God go, let me say it again. Judgment of God comes down. People of God go up. Go up. I, you're missing this. I worked hard on this. Some people say, I don't get this whole thing. I think we're going to go through all the wrath and judgment of God. Really? Then, then we're going to we're gonna have to discount what happened at the cross. Jesus suffered the full cup of wrath of the Father for you and I. When the wrath comes back to the earth and it judges mankind for its sin, that wrath is not for you. Or we owe Jesus a big old apology because he overpaid. I wonder if, you, I wonder if you're getting this. So as the wrath of God comes down, the people of God go, <laughs> yeah. And so Jesus says, when all these start, things start happening, Matthew chapter 24, uh, all of that discourse he says, hey, boys, before I leave, let me tell you how this is going to go down. He says, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. You remember what happened in the days of Noah? You know, everybody was being wicked, carrying on with their life any way they wanted. And then God brought rain and judgment, right? Just like the days of Noah. Well, the people of God went up and the judgment of God came down. I wonder if that's a little bit of a clue of what God's going to do next. Amen. Hello. That was on day two. And we know the spirit of the God, the spirit of the Lord came down and hovered. Now, in Acts, what, do we hap what happens on the first day of the last days? Peter comes down out of the upper room. Oh, this is good. Comes down out of the upper room, says, Hey, boys and girls, listen, those people aren't drunk. They're just full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down, hovered on us, right? Tongues of fire. Oh, man, I, I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning came down, hovered upon us, and this is the beginning of the last days. So we see the Spirit of God again. Come on, four more, day, four more days to go here. I'll keep you four more days if I have to. All right, day three. We see in creation 
that the land yielded seed-bearing fruit in creation. And in the third millennium on earth, in biblical history, we see that Abraham hears from God that the seed, that his seed would be like the stars of the sky, would fill the earth, come on, and that Israel during this time becomes the seed land of God. They, in Israel and in, watch this, and in Abraham, they become the representatives of God's seed in all of the earth. And notice this, during this time, all of the earth is now being exposed to the word of God globally. For the region of that time, they heard the word of God. How? Because the Jews kept being hauled off in these captivities, which today we call diaspora. For your notes, diaspora means the same thing as if you were to take one of those dandelions before they become pretty and go, and the seeds are blown. You see, the Babylonians heard about the one true God because of Israel and diaspora. You see, the Egyptians heard about the one true God because of Joseph and the people of God in Egypt. But come on, come on now. The Romans heard about the one true God. The Greeks heard about the one true God. Why do you think God picked Israel right there in the middle of three continents to blow them out? Mm. And that's what happened on the fourth day, and that's what happened in the fourth, uh, third millennium. Let's talk about the fourth day. God separates the greater and lesser lights. He creates the sun and the moon. Okay? What, do we, what happens in the fourth millennium? Jesus shows up. Right? Jesus is called in John chapter 12, verse 46, the light of the world. But what about the moons? That's you, moonies. That's you. You're the lesser light. You say, I don't want to be a lesser light. You are. You are he or she. Right? What does the moon do? It doesn't give off its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. Malachi 4.2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness, S-U-N. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Matthew 5.14. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm the light of the world. And guess what? You are the light of the world. Come on. I think it's interesting, too, that uh, ending that day happens in 30 A.D. Now, I'm going to help you with something here. The Hebrew calendar is a mess. The Roman calendar is a mess. God's calendar is a message. Don't look at a calendar and say, well, I can pinpoint it now because they're a mess. People say, well, well, Jesus was born on on year zero. Uh Uh-uh. Probably probably B.C. uh, three or four right before the calendar even started we can't figure that out yet we can't get it right right Right? and they used to clock days as 360 instead of 65 all right and the hebrew calendar is pretty messed up too but god's calendar is right on time i ain't telling you a date but i'm telling you it's soon all right so jesus right at ad 30 comes strutting in on the fourth day with god he comes strutting in on a donkey (laughs) I'm going to leave that for a couple weeks. Can I get back to that? I want you to come back to that because the donkey will preach. All right. Day five. Day five. What do we get on day five? We get fish, birds, they're created, and God tells them to multiply. What do we see in that point in biblical history? Well, Jesus says, hey, guys, you're going to go out into all the earth, right? He says, I'm going to make you fishers right 
And guess what? I'm going to make sure you have the same spirit that I have. So there's the birds, not the highway salute. I'm talking about the birds, not a band that was one time, not a band from England, not the yard birds. Contain yourself, Miss Vicky. I am glad you're laughing because some of my jokes are terrible, but I'm glad that somebody got it. So the church becomes fishers of men, and the Holy Spirit multiplies every believer into a representative of Christ. And now you'll do greater works. Jesus said, you'll do these works and greater because I go unto the Father and send the Spirit to you. Day six, you are in the last day of the last days. Day six, man is created. This is interesting. He's told to be fruitful and multiply. He does not. This, this failure happens several times. All the way up to the Tower of Babel, this is a failure. If you wonder why the Tower of Babel was so bad, it wasn't just that they built something. It was that they brought everybody together under one man, and that's going to happen again. Okay? All of mankind's going to come together, and they're not going to spread out and glorify God and fill the earth with His glory. They're going to come under one man, and He's going to tell you how to worship, when to worship, what to buy, what to sell. There are a lot of similarities between Nimrod and the Antichrist. Okay? So, so that idea is repulsive to God because it goes against his plan. He does not want you under man. He wants you under God. And this is supposed to be one nation under God. And that's the point of freedom. It comes from God. It doesn't come from government. Government can't write a law to make you free. The law doesn't make you f- The law can't make you free. Grace has already made you free. And it came from the cross and it's under God. And that's just about as political as I'll get. But we see that man is created. From millennial five to six, we see a a population growth that increases exponentially. If you look at your history books, you will see that during that time, the population growth of mankind went like this. It went totally vertical. In other words, man eventually did multiply, was fruitful, filled the earth. That was the first command of God. The idea was to fill the whole earth with his glory, not come under some some form of government or some person that would control everybody. Can I tell you this morning, listen very closely, nations are a good thing. Globalism is not a good thing. You may need to come and ask me about that later. Having a one world currency system is not a good thing. Nations are a good thing. It's okay to have different nations. And God has a plan for every nation. And we know that nations will be part of God's plan because at the end it says every tribe, every tongue, every nation will bow before... Come on, church. That's the end of His plan. So His plan is never to have a one-world government. His plan was never to have a one-world system of money. Not a digital currency that everybody could use. It's good to have a little bit of space and separation. It's good. Fences make good neighbors. Take that any way you want it. So he commands commands man to do that. But what happens? The church obeys Jesus, goes into all the earth, making disciples of every nation, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And then Jesus promised, you do these things, and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the very end of the age. Okay? So the idea now is, we're at 
Closing of day six. What's left? The millennium. We're not there. We're not at the end yet, but we're almost there. Jesus even says, when you start to see some of these things, know that the end is right at the door. Know it's right at the door. I want to show you a God that does not see the parade of history the way that you and I do. When we look at history and we stand and looking at history, it's like we go to see the parade that many of you will on July 4th coming up. You will sit somewhere by the curb and you will watch in present tense the parade go by. But God is not at the curb. He is above the curb. He is higher than the curb. You see, from God's eye point of view, he sees the beginning of the parade and he sees the whole end of the parade. The parade is moving forward for you, but for him, he's already seen the end. And God says, I created it this way, I'll redeem it, and I'll restore it this way. And I'm going to show you throughout Scripture in the coming days how he does that. But I want to show you today just what's coming next. What's coming next is some judgment. And the Hebrew calendar, they have feasts or festivals. There's seven of them. In their Hebrew worship, they have a menorah. There's seven candles. I will break every one of, you, uh, one of these down for you, but just know this. You're at, the, you're at the second to the last candle right now. That's where you're at in the plan. And what happens on that last day is this. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of their testimony. And Jesus, uh, about Jesus, and because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast nor his image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I have heard this when I was a partier, when I was out taking drugs and drinking. I used to hear this all the time. I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. God's plan is not for anyone to go to hell. And God's plan is not for anybody to reign in hell. You're going to reign with God here on earth for a thousand years. This was the original... This was the original intent for Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion. What do you think that is, church? He says, I've given you dominion over all the earth. You're not going to die. You're going to live forever. I'm going to come down and I'm going to spend time with you. And I'm going to have fellowship with you. That's called the Sabbath, the Shabbat, rest. God rested from his creation just to spend all that time with his creation as mankind. And you have dominion over the whole earth. And Satan came down and said, nope, I'll take it from you. I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you just a little bit of knowledge if you'll give up your dominion over the planet, over the earth. And that's why every problem we're experiencing today, listen, as we we go forward with AI, listen carefully, as we go forward with technology, man is going to start telling you over and over again, we got the solution, we got the solution. We got the solution to peace. We got the solution to hunger. We got the solution to cancer. We got to, man does not have the solution. We got a little bit of knowledge from that tree and that's it. But we gave up eternity. And Jesus Christ came down to the earth and took our place and died for us. And when he rose from the dead, he told his disciples, he flipped the pancake. He said, listen, everyone, now all power and authority has been given unto me and I give it back to you. He's coming back for a church that's spotless, that's victorious, and we are going to rule and reign with him. You don't feel like that right now, but you ought to have a crown on. There's five in the New Testament the Bible says God's going to give us. And if you're living your life in such a way as you're looking forward 
to his appearing. The Bible says there's a crown for that. Now, not everybody that goes to heaven is going to get that crown. Because some of you really, really care about what they're doing. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I'm getting so old, I can't even bring up a reference. It doesn't matter. That's right. It doesn't matter. I was going to say the Kardashians, but who cares? I don't care. Do you? I sure care what what he's doing. So my mind and my heart and my, my soul is focused in on him. I want to wear that crown. So that one day I could come before the throne and put it at his feet and say, listen, this is just another thing that I can lay at your feet to worship you because I longed and looked for your appearing. You're in the last day of the last days. You say, pastor, I'm going to leave today and tell everybody that you told everybody when it would be. I did not tell you when it would be, but let me tell you this is the last thing I get excited about this, but let, 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 let me tell you this. Jesus said, you won't know the day or the hour. He didn't say season. In fact, he said otherwise. He said, when you look at a tree and you see it begin to blossom, you know that summer is near. Okay. And he said, consider the fig tree, Israel, throughout the Bible. Rebirth in 1948. Consider the fig tree. When you start to see that it blossoms again, what a miracle. Waited 1,948 years on this side of the calendar to become a nation again. He said, the generation that sees that will not pass. Now stay with me. Watch this. Does anybody feel like it's becoming summer? Do you have to be a rocket scientist to know that it's starting to become summer? (sighs) Did Did you catch it when it started to be spring? Are you lucid enough to know when it springs on the way? Again, should we break out the crayons for this or do we get it? Do we get that? Do we know when, when fall's coming? Do we see the signs? Right? All God is saying is, I'm not telling you exactly when, but you can look outside and you can see the leaves. You can look outside and you can see the birds chirping. Right? You see the little squirrels, they're getting nuts again. You don't have to be a brainiac to know. Now it's simple, but why don't we live that way? Exactly. It's simple. Why don't we live that way? I'll tell you why. Because we love our sin. We love our sin. We're still telling God how we're going to do it. And we're still hoping he'd show up like a spare tire in case one blows. Show up and save me, God, from a wreck. But you know, I'm, I'm going to live my way. And you say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't do that at all. Really? When's the last time you hold, told the Holy Spirit No. Yeah. 